That was awesome. Now, uh, as I set up our time of offering, uh, I wanted to get ready for this. You know. Um, wow. So, and I think it's fitting that my mom and dad are here because my mom gave me this uh, vestment, which is from France, I think, originally. Is that correct, mom? And then my dad gave me this stole for my ordination, which was pretty, pretty cool. And I did get better grades in seminary than my dad. <laughs> and so, so the reason why I'm uh, donning all of this is because today we're going to be talking about frankincense. And frankincense literally means pure incense. And so... Uh, Throughout history, the last few thousand years, priests have burned incense uh, to show a few things, but one is purity in worship, and another thing is this. What is this? Some smoke is going up, and this is a picture of our prayers going up before the Lord. And so for generations... Uh, Priests have set aside this spice, this resin that we'll talk about a little bit more. And, and it's going to be fun as this scent begins to fill the room. And so this is a picture of your prayers and offerings going up before the Lord. Now, mainly the theme that we have in Scripture is, uh, may my prayer be set before you, Psalm uh, 141 says, just just like incense, our prayers go up before the throne. And here's the thing, it smells good. So here's an interesting question. Do your, your prayers smell good or not? We're going to talk a little bit about that today. The other thing that's interesting is in Scripture, there's another, another uh, example that happens in the New Testament where uh, offerings are given to help St. Paul do his work. And Paul says, thank you for supplying the needs. I'm amply supplied your gifts are a fragrant offering before the Lord. Isn't that wild? So today we're going to do both. We're going to do a prayer offering. We're going to do a regular offering. And, uh, and so as you came in, I hope you were given a prayer card. And if you were given a card that doesn't look like a prayer card, flip it over because it is a prayer card. And, and we're going to have the youth in a minute. We're going to have some just instrumental music for a moment. Uh, to give you a second to write down what is most on your heart. Where do you need the Lord to act? Where would you love to see his hand uh, working in your life this Christmas? And we're also going to take a financial offering. And I want to say one word about that. Thank you for your faithfulness. And we had a couple of low months during the year. If, if you fell behind a bit in giving or tithing, now would be a great time to catch up. And remember the prayers and the offerings go up before him, and they're a good smell, a, a, a reasonable offering before the Lord. So I'm going to walk with this down the aisle. I was going to get one of the big swinging, you know, things, but I thought some of your sinuses might not appreciate that if you weren't used to it. But hopefully you get a little bit of a whiff of what uh, frankincense is, is all about. You've been singing it. Now let's pray it. Lord, we don't want to miss a word that you speak. We don't want to miss anything that you have planned for us, anything you want to show us, anything you want to 
impress upon our hearts and our souls through your spirit. Lord, please speak because your servants are listening. And just tell him that right now. Lord, I need you. I want to hear from you. You are what matters right now. Lord, have your way in this place and in our lives. And everyone said? Amen. 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 How are we doing so far? You doing all right? Is there a nice, sweet smell in this place? Pretty good? Okay. Uh, it's funny, I was doing a little experimenting with frankincense in the backyard this week and burning it. And, uh, and my son, Josh, uh, the middle, middle kid, came out in the back and he goes, is that frankincense? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, what kind did you get? And I was like, what? And so I explained to him what I got. And he goes, that stuff's not that good. He goes, I have some really good frankincense. I, I didn't know my son was a frankincense like aficionado. So, so he set me up with better charcoal, organic coconut charcoal, which is, you know, top of the line. And then the best frankincense resin that's organic and, you know, from a certain spot on the planet that's so, wow. Anyway, the things you learn about your kids sometimes, right? My parents aren't surprised at all, I, I think, that that's, that's Josh. So we have been in a series that we started last week called The Gifts of the Wise Men. And you might think, uh, you know, safe bet for the pastor to do the old tried and true gifts, you know, just this simple thing from the nativity. And these gifts have heavy meaning, very prophetic. Uh, all kinds of scripture all over the place that, that points us to the meaning of these gifts. And they have a lot to say with what has God given to us and also what does he require of us as we follow him. So this has been fun to dig in. And we're going to talk about frankincense today. But first, a couple of you sent me some cartoons for the wise men that I thought we would share just, just to have a little fun. So what if they were wise women? They would have brought some practical gifts, right? I don't know if this is sexist, but it was kind of funny. Okay, now let's, let's check out this one that came from uh, Lauren and Josh. I love this. <laughs> How many of you have a birthday close to Christmas? Have you ever heard these words? Oh, man. So, yeah. So, but, but it made me think about what do you give the person who has everything? Right? I mean, there are people in your life that you struggle with. What, what am I going to give them? Because they already have it all, right? And so think about this. What do you give the, to the creator of the universe? He already has it all. But he gave up all of that. And so he came in a needy uh, situation to the planet and had to have help from his creation. And we talked about this last week, the, the gift of gold and frankincense and myrrh. All of these are worth money, but especially gold. And then the very next day, they had to flee to Egypt, and the trip was financed by the gifts of the Magi. It's, it's a beautiful picture of how God takes care of needs and how he came in a needy state. Here's the other thing that I, that I think about. How ironic is it that we celebrate the birth of a poor, simple, you know, uh, one-horse town um, savior with rushing around buying expensive gifts for people who already have too much. It's a little ironic, right? And, and I think that it's not just about that. Here's the thing. Sometimes uh, Christmas season doesn't meet our expectations. 
And we may have unspoken, un, you know, we haven't even really figured out what, what is it, but people go, are more depressed, more stressed out. They feel like, man, Christmas wasn't what I hoped. So, so let, me, let me help us as we get into this season, just take two steps back. And if your focus, if your vision, if your hope for Christmas is to really have a beautiful vision, a new vision of the Christ child, and to worship him for who he is, you will not be disappointed this Christmas. But if your vision is all kinds of other stuff, that I need this, I need this experience, I need this gift, I need peace, I need quiet, you know, we need to focus on him. So how do you do that? I mean, that's nice that the pastor said that, but how do you do it? So a couple of ideas. Try noticing him in scripture. Read through Matthew 1 and 2. Read through Luke 1 and 2. And look for the story, what it means. Sing the songs. If you're driving in your car listening to the songs, sing them. And, and figure out the, the lyrics to some of these other, the, the third and fourth verses of some of the Christmas carols are, the theology will blow your mind. Unbelievable. And look at the lights at night and remember that he came to be the light of the world. Enjoy the gift giving. Don't take the gift giving for granted. Thank God that he gave you resources to give somebody something. And look for people who have less and help them as well, right? So what you seek for Christmas will will determine whether or not you feel satisfied and stoked going through Christmas or not. Right on. on. So let's read Matthew 2, and this is the the wise men, uh, and we already read the first part of this last week where they were on their way to, uh, to visit the family in Bethlehem. So starting in verse 9, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And we know this was somewhere around a year and a half to two years after Jesus' birth. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and what did they do? They worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod... They returned by another route. When they had gone, an angel appeared to Joseph and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and try to kill him. So Herod knew that this was a king that had come, or could be a king that had come into the world. He had to do away with this threat, even though the threat was two years old. This is a paranoid dude. But I think it's important that we have the whole story, not just the wise men show up with gifts. That's fantastic. But why to worship him? And then what happened after? They were changed. They went back a different route. They heard from the Lord. They actually got to see the king. And then the king's life immediately was in danger. Interesting. So each gift, powerful, important meaning. So why did they give frankincense. Um, I'm really glad that you asked. So throughout the ancient world, incense was associated with worship and prayer and temple sacrifice in all different religions. And frankincense literally means pure incense. It just means really good incense. And it is from a certain tree. And so it's called the Boswellia thurifera 
tree or something like that. And my son would probably correct me. Uh, the word frankincense is in the Bible 17 times, almost always associated with the priesthood of Israel. So frankincense was mixed with a couple of other spices in a very particular formula, and that was the only thing that was allowed to be burned in the temple. So there was a certain way that God wanted this to look and smell and, and be used very particularly. So why frankincense? There are two huge reasons why these uh, magi, court advisors, wealthy, powerful people from Persia or, or from Babylon had come, and, and so they gave the gift of, of frankincense because they knew two things. One, Jesus was worthy of worship. The first thing they did was they worshiped him. So that's what we're going to talk about on Christmas Eve, the fourth gift. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, and worship. Because he was worthy of worship. So how do we know that Jesus is worthy of worship? Well, let me, let me show you a verse that blew my mind. Late in college, I was struggling in my faith, kind of walking away from the Lord, just not sure if this whole Jesus thing was true. I knew there was a creator because I could like, when I swam in the Pacific Ocean, I'm like, there's a creator. I know something's going on. When I, when I ski down the mountain, I'm like, there's something going on. But what about Jesus? I mean, how, how do I believe this? Look at these verses from Isaiah 9, 700 years B.C. For unto us a child is born. How many of you have heard these verses? Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. Those are some big shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Wait a minute. This is a kid named Mighty God? Everlasting. A kid, a little child is going to be named Everlasting. This is blasphemy. This is crazy. He's going to be Everlasting Father. He's going to be Prince of Peace. And look at this. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. It will last forever. An earthly leader, their kingdom, even if they have a ton of kids and a ton of generations, at some point ends. That's just how it works. This is not an earthly king. There is no other character, no other figure, no other personality in all of history that fits this, these verses, this prophecy. Either the prophecy is false, and Isaiah didn't have a tendency to say false things. All of his stuff comes true. Or Jesus fulfills this. Or we're still waiting for someone who will. But man, we've been waiting a long time. And, and I feel sad for uh, Jewish brothers and sisters that are still waiting for the Messiah, although most are not. Most are following a Judaism that is not looking forward to a Messiah, which is sad in itself. Because he came. And how exciting, how cool to be a completed, a fulfilled, a happy and excited Jew who sees that Jesus actually came to fulfill all this. It's true. And he came to be everlasting father and wonderful and counselor and prince of peace. Wow. So for me, when I read these, these verses and I just let them percolate in my spirit, I couldn't get it past it. I was like, there isn't, and, and there's a whole bunch of other verses, a whole bunch of other prophecies, but for some reason, this one was like the Kirk one that God just used 
to crack open my thick skull and say, look, I'm working on planet Earth. I want you to believe the Christmas story, and I want you to believe that I'm still with you through my spirit, and this is all true. And once I stepped across that line, I've never turned back. And I just knew it's, he's, he is who he says he is. And there's no one else who could be this. Amen. So I want to just challenge you, if you're sitting here or if you're watching online, if you struggle with doubts, um, often our doubts have nothing to do with who he is. Maybe we've been mistreated by somebody or someone in, you know, some religious figure fell or we were hurt and we're like, that didn't really make sense. But those things really don't have much to do with Jesus. Is he true or is he not? Is he worthy of worship? Is he, is he not? And so if you're struggling, read those verses this Christmas. Read them every day if you, if you need to. And just let them sink in and say, Jesus, is this you? Are, are you this true, this real, this powerful, this worthy of worship? And you'll find that he is. So Jesus is, based on that verse and based on our experience and, and how we see the story play out, he's God in the flesh, which is Emmanuel, God with us. You guys have heard that word around the Christmas season and the songs. Emmanuel means he is with us. But does the Bible really say that Jesus is God and worthy of worship and worthy of frankincense and sacrifice? And does it really say that? And the answer is, yeah, it really does. So um, I want to just show a couple of them on the screen. Um, so John has a whole bunch of stuff in his gospel about Jesus being God and Son of God. And so in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then um, Jesus speaking, he said, before Abraham ever was born, I, I am. I've always been. That's a crazy thing to say if you're 31 years old. And they looked at him like he was nuts, and they wanted to kill him because he was speaking blasphemy if it wasn't true. I and the Father are one. That's, wow. I have never said that. Right? I would never say that. He said that. And then uh, Thomas and many others, in fact, evil spirits used to say, you are the Son of God. And then Jesus would say, like, just chill out. It's not time for everybody to know that yet. So let's look at the next, the next slide. There's a whole bunch more. I just want to give you seven that I like a lot. These are interesting. Uh, later on in the New Testament, it says that God gave his blood. So this is a theme that you see uh, in, in the book of Acts. Uh, and then uh, down at the bottom, um, it, it's interesting. The, the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, and then uh, the righteousness of God and our Savior, our Savior Jesus. So he's called God, not just Savior, over and over and over and over again. But there are a lot of people that I still run into that say, well, the Bible doesn't say that he's God. They, want, they, they try to reinterpret a lot of these verses, and it just you've got to work really hard to get around it. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's worth all the effort or energy, and especially when someday you're going to have to face him and you know it's true. Why not live like it now? No one said amen to that. Okay. So the second reason why frankincense is a fitting gift for Jesus is that he's a priest. So he's God in the flesh, Emmanuel. He's also our priest, our go-between uh, with the Father. And he's called the great high priest 11 times in the New Testament. 
So what does a priest do? A priest is a mediator between God and man. And they are holy, they're set apart so they can do their job. So they literally have to leave society in some ways in order to spend more time with God and live in two worlds, is a way of saying that. And the heart and heart cry of every human is to connect with God, and yet we know deep down there's a barrier. Like, we can't just hang out with God because God's holy and perfect, and we ain't. And, and so we need a bridge. We need a go-between. We need a priest. So throughout history, people have created religions, created priests, tried to put somebody in the middle so that we can somehow approach God. Somebody can do sacrifices on my behalf because I'm not worthy. And, and actually, in the, in the Roman Catholic Church, the word, the word priest is pontifex, which means bridge builder. That's, that's what it actually means. Uh, and, and so Jesus is the ultimate bridge builder, bringing God and man back together to restore what was lost in the garden. So 1 Timothy 2 says there's one God and mediator. So, and that's Jesus. There isn't another so he, he's our only choice. <laughs> we, we may as well choose him. So what does a high priest do? Not just a priest. So the high priest, one of them is selected, and they go in once a year to offer a sacrifice within the Holy of Holies. So only once a year, somebody goes into the holiest part of the temple, which is where the Ark of the Covenant is, and they leave uh, an offering there with frankincense and blood, and they offer on behalf of themselves and the nation all the sins of the year. And they have to keep doing it. And they have to keep doing it. And they have to keep doing it every year to, to uh, somehow make up for all this running away from God during the year. But Jesus came as the perfect high priest. And so we notice uh, Hebrews 9, 6 talks uh, about once a year, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and offers a sacrifice. But look at Hebrews 9.12. Jesus, once and for all, is that high priest. So his blood, not the blood of another lamb, his blood is given, which makes perfect this sacrifice for, forever. So there's no longer this need for the person to go in there all the time and temporarily Take care of sin. Jesus does it once and for all. And a big theme of the book of Hebrews, if you've ever been confused by Hebrews, like how many of you have ever read Hebrews and you're like, what the heck is this all about, right? It's, it's a pretty Jewish book. Uh, it feels pretty religious and it has a lot of history in it. But one of the big themes of the book of Hebrews is the, how amazing Jesus is as a priest and how he is so far above all the other priests, all the other high priests from the past and so he's speaking to Hebrews, to Jewish people, saying, look at him. He is the one that all of these traditions have been pointing towards, and now he fulfills it. And in fact, do you know what Jesus is doing right now? Ever wonder, what would Jesus be doing today? Like Sunday morning, right now, he is offering prayers for you. He's bringing your prayers before the Father. So we don't know all of what he's up to right now, but we do know that that one thing is true in Scripture, that he is still our priest. He still represents us before the Father and brings our prayers continually to the Father. Hebrews 7 and Romans 8 talk about that. So, so here's, here's the question. Jesus is a priest. Jesus is the great high priest. Is he yours? 
Is he your way to the Father, or do you feel like, well, you know, yeah, but. Yeah, but means no. So um, some of you feel like, well, I grew up Lutheran, so I'm good. Uh, My grandmother read the Bible a lot, and she prayed over me, and so I'm good. Um, I go to church, so I'm good. Uh, Billy Graham, uh, I love this guy, but he said, just like being in a garage doesn't make you a car, being in church doesn't make you a Christian. And he also said, just like being in McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, right? You're not automatically a Christian because you grew up a certain way. And in fact, sometimes we rely on ourselves and we're like, well, other people might need a priest, but I'm pretty good. You know, like, I mean, John probably needs a priest. But, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all right. But the Bible's pretty straight up on our righteousness, our good acts don't add up. I mean, the book of Isaiah says they're filthy rags. And look it up. The word is worse than filthy rags. So our righteous acts before God are... That's my paraphrase. They are... And Romans 3 says that you're not going to be declared by all the good... You're not going to be declared righteous by the good stuff you do. That's not how it works. Because we've all sinned and we fall short of God's perfection. Grace saves us. So... So do we understand that Jesus is the only way to the Father? Is he the bridge builder or is he not the bridge builder? Acts 4 says there's no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. There isn't another way. There isn't another priest. There isn't another bridge. He's it. In fact, Jesus called himself the gate. And in John 14, 6, you guys know um, the beginning of this. I'm the way the truth, and the life, right? But remember the second half? No one. That, like, and no one means no one. No exceptions can come to the Father except through him. So it doesn't matter how sincere, how religious, how you know, upright, how nice, how much I give away, how much I do for others, how much I... It does not add up because it's not how it's created to work. How it's created to work is there's a bridge, one bridge between man and God, and that's Jesus. And that's why he came and laid in a manger in humility to say, I'm here for you. I'm coming to your level. In fact, I'll stoop lower than your level so you can really look in my eyes and see me. And it's not that you have to earn your way up to me because I'm coming down to you. That is real love stooping to our level from the kingdom, from the throne. And and I think that's a great picture of the throne of grace is the manger, that God would make that his throne for a little while. That's nuts. But that's the God that we serve, and that's the Jesus that we see and believe in. And how many of you know John 3.16? Would you raise your hand? How many of you have held that up at a ball game? John 3.16, okay, that was you? Okay, but the very next verse is powerful. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. That's a rescue operation because we need a rescue operation. Uh, I don't know if you've heard me tell this story, but I was on a fishing boat uh, maybe about eight years ago. 
And there was a guy who drank too much, had a major seizure, threw himself out of a bunk and smashed his head open on the floor of a fishing boat. And we were 100 miles from home. And he's bleeding out. Like, this is a really bad situation. So my buddy Robert was on, and he's an EMT. And so he, you know, sees the guy's conscious, gets his head kind of in the right position where, you know, he can at least survive for a little while. And then we call the Coast Guard. And we are off the Mexican coast in, like, they're not supposed to go there. We're in Mexican water. Um, but we called the Coast Guard, and they said, we'll be right there. They gave him the coordinates, whatever. So Robert got him comfortable. But we knew he's going to die if he has a 100-mile boat ride home. He, it's over. So the Coast Guard shows up in about 20 minutes uh, out in the middle of nowhere. It was just the coolest thing um, out of San Diego. And, and must have been longer than 20 minutes doing the math. Anyway, so he shows up over our boat. It's terrifying because the helicopter is right over this 70-foot fishing boat. The trash cans blow overboard, the bags, all the hats, all the stuff just goes, right? So, but this frogman comes down on, on his little uh, you know, rope ladder thing, and he's got this helmet on and a microphone, and he's all like, I mean, it's like RoboCop, right? And he comes down onto the, onto the boat, and he goes over to this guy, and, and we've got him all, all out there, and, and they, they put this scoop under him so he can't move his spine. And then he says, do you trust me? And he says, yes. And he goes, I need you to do exactly what I tell you. And he says, okay. And he goes, I'm gonna, we're going to save your life, but you have to do exactly what I tell you to do. He goes, okay. And he goes, I don't want you to do anything. Just lay there. Can you do that? And he goes, yes. He goes, I want you to struggle. I don't want you to fight. I don't want you to, I just want you to relax and lay there. Can you do that? And he said, yes, sir, I can do that. So they airlifted him, gone. And we're just, we're just all like, you know, what was that? But I was, and he made it. He was doing great. We talked to him later in the uh, hospital in, in San Diego, and he was happy. And um, I hope he learned a couple of life lessons <laughs> through that whole thing. But I watched salvation happen, and I watched the bridge happen between um, us and heaven. Because Jesus says, I don't want you, Scott, to do anything. I already did it. I want you to trust me, and I want you to just let me save you. When we try to earn it, when we try to get ahead and do our thing, and I got this, and we don't got this. We, we need him. He, he's the only way to have peace with the Father. And we have to literally maybe tie our hands down <laughs> and say, I trust you. Yes, please save me, because I can't save myself. And I think that, honestly, if we are honest with ourselves, we're the bleeding guy. And, and we can't make it on our own. Eventually, we die spiritually. Unless we say, yes, I need your help. Yes, save me. Yes, please. Right? So that's our big, valiant act of faith, you know? Yes, please, I'm dying. <laughs> Do whatever you want. <laughs> right? So, so that's, our, that's our big part in our faith is yes, please. And, and so I, want, I believe that some of you and, and some of you online and some of you who are going to watch this, it's time for you to say yes, please to the Lord uh, and get ready for Christmas. Get your heart ready for Christmas because Christmas maybe to you has been really cool and neat and fun, 
but it hasn't had Christ at the center of it. And it's Christ mass. It's a celebration of Jesus and what he came to do. And notice it's not Jesus mess, right? Christ means Messiah. It's Messiah celebration. It's Savior celebration. That's what Christmas means. And so if, if that's you and you just, you're like, that's, I need rescuing. I've been trying to do this on my own. I've, I've been a Christian in name, but not really. I have not been all in. Just pray with me and get things right before Christmas. And if you're out online, just pray with me too. And just say, uh, Lord Jesus, I admit that I have been wandering and doing things my own way and trying to save myself. And, and I just understand that um, I can't. And, and I want to stop trying to do it all on my own. And I want to trust you. Thank you for traveling to earth. Thank you for uh, being born and dying for, for our salvation, for my salvation. And I accept you as my priest, as my bridge to God today. And help me, Lord, to take some first steps, some next steps in you and towards you and towards your Father because you are good, not because I have to be good. And I ask that you would wipe out my sin. I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me holy. Make me set apart. And maybe I don't even know what that means yet, but teach me. And Lord, connect me to your family so I don't do this alone. And in Jesus' name, we welcome some of you to his family. Amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, let us know uh, online, put in the comments or something. Come see me, come see John, Annie, any of us as leaders and, you know, um, yeah. Come see Kenny and Wendy, wave your hands right there. Come see Julie and Scott, wave your hands right there. We'll help you get started. So I want to uh, finish with this really amazing ver uh, verses from Hebrews 4. So if you have a Bible, go to Hebrews 4, starting in 14. And, and again, Hebrews has a lot to do with Jesus as priest. Now look at these, Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. Uh, and it's interesting that some translations say, let's hold unswervingly. I love that word, to the faith we possess. For we do not have a, great, a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So put a comma right there. Jesus gets you. You might think, well, you know, my life's been so hard. I've had this I've had to face, this happened. and This says that he has faced every temptation known common to human beings, and he didn't fall. Now, does that mean you have to live a perfect life? No, there's grace. But it does mean that Jesus gets it, and he has walked in our shoes. You have not walked in his shoes. So I, sometimes I try this with my kids. I'll say, I've walked in your shoes. You have not walked in my shoes. And they don't get that. But, but I'm still trying. But I think with the Lord... He has walked where we've walked and he's faced our temptations and he has prayed and fought all night in prayer and he has lost loved ones. Think about Joseph. Joseph, his dad, his earthly dad is off the scene early and Jesus is carrying the family. He didn't, he didn't complain. He just did it. But he gets it when we go through loss and hurt and pain and, and frustration 
He gets it. Okay, next. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now think about, we don't have, we don't have big scary kings and kingdoms now. 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, going into the king's presence, going into the throne room was terrifying because you're not sure if he's going to do away with you or not. And that's why you bow down before the king because you're saying, yep, you could cut my head off right now if you felt like it. That's what that's all about. Lying prostrate before somebody? Prostrate? Yeah, that one. Not the other one. That's what that's all about. You are willingly putting yourself under the king's authority and they can do with you as they please. So when, when this, these words were coming to the people 2,000 years ago, they were picturing going into Caesar's throne room how, and this was a bad Caesar. Like, he's gonna, he could kill you. It could be over. And, and he's saying it's not like that. You can approach the throne of grace, the greatest throne, way above Caesar's throne, with the greatest confidence. How different is that? How amazing is that? How life-changing, game-changer. You can walk to the creator of the universe and say, hi, um, I'm here because of your son and because you welcomed me here. And I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on with my needs. And he listens. And he doesn't chase you out. And earthly thrones are elevated to show power and authority and separateness. And yet we have the throne of grace, which he crossed all those barriers to level the playing field and to welcome us into his presence. It's a very different kind of a throne. So when it says draw near to him, it literally, John and I were talking about this this week, it means to, um, to approach him facing forward, like all in, eyes wide open, rather than, you know, God, I don't really belong here, but, or, you know, you haven't smitten me yet. That's not how it goes. It's, it's the whole uh, trajectory is towards him, for him, with him. So a question I've, I've been thinking about this week for each of us is, is that our life? Are we facing him and ready to embrace him, or are we hiding or running away? And these verses say that you and I can approach the throne of grace with confidence, not because I have it all together, but because he does. Not because I did it all, but because he did. Right? So it's not about me being all that. It's about him being everything that I need, and I go with him. And Jesus is there waiting for us, saying, come on, come into my Father's presence. Come on, come on, come on. There was a story a long time ago about two guys who had lost some loved ones. There was some land snatching happening, and they needed to speak to Abraham Lincoln about this. And so they, were, they tried to get in, couldn't get in, tried to get in, couldn't get in. They tried for a week to come see the president. They couldn't. So they're sitting out, literally out in a park, you know, crying about all this stuff. And then a little boy says, you know, what's, what's going on? And then they tell him the story. And then he says, I think it's a true story. He says, follow me. Maybe I can help. It was Abraham's son. So he took him right into the president's presence, into his office through like the back way. And 
and they got their thing solved. That's us. It's not because I can earn my way to meet with him. It's because I know who, who can, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. So, I, I love this. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? So we can receive mercy. So we can receive grace. So we can receive help. So what do you most need right now? Just think about you. What do you need? You know that song, All I Want for Christmas? All I Want for Christmas is You? That's actually pretty good theology. I think it's about a guy or a girl in that song, but couldn't we make that about the Lord? Because it's interesting, as we think about what do I need for Christmas, I mean, we may have a list, like, I want peace on earth, you know, I want peace in the Middle East, I want, or, or I want, you know, a Red Rider BB gun, or you may have a certain thing that you really, you know, this is it. But it's interesting, we already have what we need, and in fact, there's a verse that you won't like, um, sometimes I give you the Second Peter 1 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You've already been given what you really, really need. Salvation and relationship with God and access to His throne. There's nothing that you could receive for Christmas that's more important than those. You already have. The, the big stuff is already, already locked down. But doesn't it feel, especially this year, like we're pretty needy? I mean, I don't want to just throw that big theology out there to you and go like, okay, go home, everybody, you already have all you need. Because we don't feel that, we don't feel like that. I don't feel, I feel more needy than I did two years ago. We've been through a hard season. Some of you have gone through a whole bunch of loss. Some of you, your relationships have just been demolished the last couple years. And the Lord knows that. And he doesn't just give you like, put a smile on, you'll be okay. No. He listens, he hears, he identifies, he wants to help. So we can come before him and say, here is my greatest need. And, and here's the thing that I keep thinking about. His answer is not as important as our access to his answer. Does that make sense? The access is more important than the answer. Here's what I mean. When your kid, how many of your parents, would you raise your hand? When your kids come to you and ask you for something, do you always give it to them? Why not? You're mean. I can't believe that you would not give them everything that they possibly would desire and ask for. You know why we don't? Because we know it's not good for them. And we have a bigger picture in mind than they do. And, and the Lord is like that with us. We have access to him. That's the most important thing. We can bring our concerns to him and in his love and in his power, he could knock any of your concerns out this afternoon. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing our God can't do. He's proved it. He rose from the dead. He rose other people from the dead, and he's going to raise all of you from the dead. Like, you can't really do much more than that. And so he's capable, he's ready, he's willing, he can do anything. Will he? I don't know. That's up to him. But access to him is more important than if he wants to do the thing I want him to do or not. And so we approach his throne of grace with confidence, and we ask for help in our time of need, and we say, I'm really needy, and it hurts, and I don't like it. And he goes, I know. And he meets us in that place. 
and he answers the things his way in his time. And he may want us to keep asking. Like, uh, you know the parable of the persistent widow? She kept asking. So if you have a broken relationship, or you need a relationship, or you need this addiction gone, or this thing, don't pray once and go, well, that didn't work. It's a process of bringing your passionate desire before the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you to meet me here. I need your grace. I need you to help me because I'm needy. He knows you're needy. And he wants to meet those needs. So I want to I ask the band to come up. And I want to ask you to just picture yourself walking before his holy throne. What, what would it be like? To, to just picture it. This is what happens in our prayer all the time. We come before his throne all the time. We just sometimes don't picture it that way. But picture yourself coming before the, the throne through Jesus, the bridge builder, your high priest, and be honest for the next couple minutes and just say, Lord, this is what I most need. And, and you might think it's not a big deal or you, you might think it's too small to bother him with it. If it's on your mind, bring it. He, he's not bothered. He's your loving father. And you might think it's too big. Man, how could God ever... That's a lie of the enemy. Don't even finish that sentence. If he's God, he can do anything. Or he's not God. Yeah, but, but that's too hard for him to... Don't fill in that blank either. Just say, Lord, here's my need. And I ask that you would meet me in this place of need. And I ask, Lord, that you would tune my heart into yours and that you would meet this need your way in your time. Because, man, if I try to meet my needs sometimes, I do it the wrong way, the wrong time, and it doesn't end up right. So just come to him open and available and humble and asking, but also have this faith that I know, Lord, you can do it. And I want to ask you to work. So, so let's pray, and then we're going to sing. Jesus, thank you for being our priest. Thank you that you give us access. Sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we don't pray for weeks. Sometimes we think you don't care, but you do. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. And right now we bring you the things that we most need. Thank you that you've given us salvation. Thank you that you've given us you. Thank you for even listening. But Lord, and just lift up one or two things that you most need, that are most on your heart this Christmas. Just say, Lord, here's my stuff. And I just lay it before your throne. And I ask that you would meet me here in this place. Thank you that you're the God who sees. Thank you that you're the God who provides. Thank you that you're the God who crossed time and space to be with me. And now I just want to ask you to listen for a minute. See if the Lord would say anything to you about that. Is there something you need to do? Something you need to give up? some way that he wants to adjust how you look at that particular need right now this Christmas. Lord, I ask through your spirit that you give us insight, 
And Lord, that you would calm down anxious hearts where we get worried about so many things. And Lord, may we trust you with the greatest needs in our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would heal those who feel hurt, damaged by this last year. And Lord, I ask that you'd give us strength and stability in you. Jesus, be our confidence and be our guide. And thank you for being our bridge to heaven. In Jesus' name.